Welcome to LOA Today. I'm Walt Thiessen. With me today are life coaches Cindy Chavez and Jackie Gates. This is your daily dose of happy. We are so happy you decided to join us today. And Jackie, I was sharing with Cindy that uh, we're getting more and more guests scheduling to come on to the show over the next month or two, which is in part due to uh, I'm doing some serious outreach. I, w- I want to involve more and more people outside and hopefully reach other new audiences and so forth. So that's that's kind of cool. But uh, we're already getting some people interested, plus some old friends like next week, David Strickle, Stream of David's going to come by, which is only fair because I was on his podcast today. Um, <laughs> Lovely. So he'll be coming next week. He's actually going to come in March. He's going to come in April. He scheduled a few here, so we're going to have a few visits for him. And all, all on Wednesdays. I'm not sure what it is about Wednesdays, but he decided to do Wednesdays <laughs> the next few months. <laughs> Maybe because he had a good visit last time on a Wednesday. I don't know. Yeah, I had a great time with David the last time he was on our podcast on Wednesday. I, it was so much fun. Like we, I a, had an amazing conversation. Yeah. And yeah. I actually got feedback from people emailing me saying like that conversation was amazing. So mm-hmm. that was yeah. a lot of fun. Yeah. He's always a fun conversation. I always enjoy, I mean, whether it's a stream session or just talking with David, I love it either way because he's he's very knowledgeable. I mean, he knows the subject inside and out. And then there's the stream, and the stream is just like a trip. So <laughs> it's like a, it's the male version of Abraham coming through, and it's pretty wild. But, <laughs> but, uh, but on top of that, I mean, I've been reaching out. There, there are a number of different places that if you have a podcast, you can go out and find other people who are wanting to be speakers and so forth. And so I've connected on a few of them. Pod matches one, Audrey is another one. <clears throat> there are a few of them out there and I'm finding people. And so we're going to be getting more and more people as guests throughout the, the days and weeks to come. So How delicious. it's going to be fun. Yay. Yeah. Yeah. That's like- Things are growing. That's good. Great. Yeah. Well, that's the whole idea. We, we've been kind of uh, sitting where we were for about a year now, just kind of not, not falling apart or anything like that, but not exactly growing out of sight. And I figured, yeah, it's about time. About nice. time. Because I've never really done a concerted promotional effort for the show. I mean, I always let it just kind of grow on its own. But uh, I kind of feel like it's time. It's time to just kind of <laughs> spread the wings a little bit, right? Indeed. So. Time for the miracle yeah. grow. <laughs> the miracle grow. Oh, don't say that to Louis D'Souza. He's all into soil right now. I don't know if you know that. <laughs> That's funny. Well, well it, it, it's kind of political day in a sense because we, I was talking about political stuff with David. David's all concerned about vaccines and, and Louis's all concerned about soils. And it, it's really interesting. I mean, a, a lot of people I know who are into conscious creation have their own thing that they're interested in. Um, they're all very true to the ideas of, you know, Here's how the law of attraction works. I'm going to be in control of my own life. I am in control. It's up to me how I decide to handle things and so forth. But everybody has their own little thing where the politics is concerned. And the reason that's interesting to me is I was heavily into politics for decades. Now, in fact, I was adding it up while I was doing the show with, with David. I was into politics for four decades, 40 wow. years. And the thing that I, I think about it now is, wow, am I glad I got out? <laughs> It was, it was not healthy. It was not yeah. healthy at all. No, mm-hmm. <laughs> I feel so much better leaving it behind, too. So it, it, <laughs> that, that's what kind of made it really interesting. Although it was great to be able to draw from my knowledge of that. Like at one point, we were talking about how um, everything in politics is fear-driven. Understandable. Yes. That's what it's all about. Um, but the moment that you um, introduce fear into the equation is the moment that the ideas that are involved in politics cease to be pure because they're fear driven. I mean, when you get fear going in there, that's just going to, and and the illustration I used was a story about George Washington, which I hadn't thought about in years, but it's a fun story because I mean, George Washington is probably the purest president we've ever had in terms of the way American history is told and so forth. Washington DC is named after him. The Washington monument is the tallest monument in Washington DC by law. No building, no structure can ever be taller than the Washington monument. Even the, the U S Capitol can't be taller than the, than Washington monument. I mean, it's like Washington is it. He's the guy. But when you look at his history, you find that when he was a young man who had first emigrated to this country, he was um, descended from aristocracy. He uh, his, he was not the eldest son, so obviously he didn't inherit uh, the estate back in England, but he ended up moving to this country through a land grant that was given to him by the king. 
Um, he was the, probably the highest ranking aristocrat in the country at the time. And he decided, well, okay, I've got to take my place in, this is during the American colonies, long before the, the revolution, right? And he decided, I, I got to start taking my place in society. So he decided to run for a local office. And I, I don't remember what the office was, but it was really small. I mean, and of course, you know, the population at that time was pretty low. So his, his town was probably like 30 voters and they were all the men with, with uh, land. There were you no know, women weren't voting. That was, that was it. You know, it was just like 30 people voting for him. And so he stood for office and he lost and he lost by a lot and he didn't understand what had happened. So he asked a friend about it and his friend said, Oh, well, that was easy. You lost because your opponent went to the local pub and bought ales and beers for everybody. <laughs> so the next election, Washington went to the local pub and bought ales and beers for everybody and he won. Hooray. Oh my God. <laughs> you lost because you failed to sufficiently scare everyone. <laughs> you know, that too, yeah. <laughs> but there goes the purity argument. He got washed down by a pint of ale. So <laughs> he was kind of gone. <laughs> Oh man, that is a good story. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Very interesting. <laughs> but it really nicely illustrates how there, there's no such thing as purity in politics. It's, you know, you have to kind of get that out of your mind. And that's what I had to do. I had to get that out of my mind. That's how I ended up putting politics behind me. When I finally realized there were no pure political ideas, even the ones that I had held on to voraciously for years. No, they weren't all that pure after all. And once mm -hmm. I was able to let go of that, it was like, oh, this is easier. I can handle this. I can do this. After 40 years. Oh, <laughs> I wish I had learned it 30 years before. <laughs> but we learn at the rate we can. So anyway, that's what that was going on earlier today. So what's, what's going on with you guys? Well, I was just thinking about, uh, we were talking a little bit for like two minutes before we went on the air. So I was trying to structure my thoughts around it. But it kind of coincided with a thought I've been having about my own practices in the last month. And what it was, was that I had a client that um, has been with me for many years. So of course has heard me talk about Neville a lot. And she said, well, you know, I just kept, she said, if I look at this situation in one way, um, then th this is, won't work out for me. But if I, I look at it this way, if I look at it, if I listen to Neville talk about the pearl of great price, then it's perfect. And I was mm. like, hmm. So. <laughs> yeah. Especially so considering how much we're talking about Neville, right? That was a particular lecture that um, I'd read, but I couldn't, I don't have it in my bones. Like I do some of the Neville books that we did on the air <laughs> where we just got really deep into them. And we sure did. So, um, I probably had the story more in my head just from past religious experiences. And so what Neville is talking about though is, is he's talking about the scriptures. And so this is where it gets kind of tangled because, you know, Neville has a, uh, we put on the Neville decoder ring and we find out that when Neville talks about Jesus or Christ, he's talking about our imagination. Mm -hmm. So when Neville, I just like pull out a random verse from the Christian Bible that says like, Christ in you is the hope of glory. Well, you know, Neville says, well, that's your imagination. Right. <laughs> Which is vastly different than what anything I ever learned um, when I was uh, a practicing Christian, which I am. It was no nothing like my that. Sunday school. I can tell you that. Right, exactly. <laughs> and so, and so what Neville is saying is that what is the, so here's the, the, the question is, well, what is the pearl of great price? Well, because mm. he says that most people aren't going to have it. And he says the reason why is because you have to sell everything you own to get it. Well, of course, you know, he's talking metaphorically. I mean, it, it was a metaphor to begin with, and then Neville took it, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Like, we need more metaphor, right? Right, and people put Neville on it, and it's like, you know, it's like putting sugar in yeast. It just expanded into a ginormous, what? Okay, so what he's saying, though, as he explains it, is that the pearl of great price is the power you have to create everything. It is... It is the God power, so to speak. That's my term, not Neville's, but it is Christ in you. It is, 
your imagination. It's your ability. Mm. And the, and he's not talking about actually physically, you know, getting rid of your stocks and bonds and, you know, selling your, your house and your furniture. He's talking about all the other ideas that you have of things that have to come, that things that influence you. So that could be, you know, one of the examples he actually uses, he says astrology, but it's, it's really any outside voice or any outside guidance that we look for to figure out if something's going to come to pass or if something can happen for us. Right. And he's saying, get rid of it all. And then once you can, you will have to have that pearl. That is you deciding what's going to happen. That is you making it happen for you. That is you having the power to be that person that has that thing or does that thing or believes that thing, whatever it is that you're after. And so the thing that I noticed is that in my long time of practicing all kinds of different things, because, you know, I was born a Catholic and I converted to Christianity or I became a Christian, uh, Christian and Catholic are not synonymous. Um, and then, and then I had a Orthodox Jewish conversion, um, because my actual roots are Jewish. Um, I'm a Sephardic Jew, a Spanish Jew. Um, and then I started practicing Buddhism in, there's a reason why they talk about uh, Jew booze. It's there's, there's an overlap in the practice. So there are a lot of us Jews that practice Buddhism. And then I got into some different types of magic, including Jewish magic and different types of magic. And so I always joke this, like, I'm not going to probably have to reincarnate because I just did it all this time. Right. So, (laughs) but, but in that, in all of that, what I realized this past week is that my practice has gotten more and more away from any of those things into a place where I'm sort of just confident that I'm calling it in. There's a lot of traffic that just went by a whole loud, like, I don't know what the collective noun for motorcycles is, but a gang of motorcycles just went by. A pack. How about a pack? We'll go with that. Very loud. Um, So I, I had that thought like yesterday, I thought, huh, like, I don't feel like, Ooh, I'm getting away from my practices. I need to go back and get more. I just realized that, I sort of do have been doing whatever practice there is in the moment, right? Whatever is in that moment that's working, like, like the power of eight kind of thing, right? It's Mm -hmm. like in the moment I will, mm, I will think of what I need to do or think or imagine because it's a lot of Neville kind of stuff. And then it's like, it just unfolds. And so I didn't have any guilt about, oh, I'm not doing this or that practice enough. I just had this Mm -hmm. recollection of like, oh, wow, like I'm not really having to do that anymore. And then I had this session with a client today and I afterwards I was, you know, kind of doing some busy work and I kept thinking, oh, wow, like this is exactly how I just didn't connect it. And then Jackie and I had a quick conversation. And that's why I said, Jackie will smile when I say this, because I was like, oh, my gosh, there it is again. <laughs> so I don't I don't know. I just I just recognize that we have more power than we often give ourselves credit for having over our own. You know, I'm not talking about, you know, we, we talk about this a lot. There's there's the collective and then there's what what you have the power over. I don't have power to just change politics. You know, I don't have power to change some big thing that's happening in the world. Um, I have power to do my part in it, which is to either support it or not. Um, but I do have power over who I believe myself to be and over my own behavior and over my own choices that are connected to my values. And that is a lot of power. And I think we don't always recognize it. Sometimes we want to hear it and it's human nature to want to hear it from outside ourselves. But, you know, sometimes we don't realize how powerful we really are just in that one thing of just knowing. So I don't know. That's what's been on my mind today. (laughs) I agree with that. Yeah. In fact, I would say we're still learning what our power is. 
I don't think we've even begun to truly grasp the whole picture. We've begun to grasp, I mean, those of us in conscious creator mm. circles perhaps grasp it a whole lot more than others do, but even we have a lot to learn on that, I think. I don't know what they used to say. They used to have this number, and I don't know if it's been proven to be wrong. Somebody told me recently, oh, I don't think that's true. Well, actually, I think it was a conversation I had maybe a year ago, but you know about only using a certain percentage of our brain? Mm. I mean, I don't know. If you know, tell me. But it was like, you know, well, we only use 10% of our brain. And if we could just tap into all the brain power we have. Well, I don't know if those numbers are right or if that concept's even right. But I think it's right, at least in a metaphorical way, that we have so much more power than we're often willing to tap into. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I agree with that. Well, firstly, we are not our brains. So that's, that's right. you know, so really, you know. Um, right. And I don't know anybody that uses the full capacity of even the laptop or the phone they carry, right? I mean, it's, it's that analogy. It's we don't. We just yes. don't. Um, and uh, I, I, you just talking, um, you're, you're talking about um, tapping into inner wisdom. It just reminded me of a, a Peter O'Toole, the actor, quote that I read when I was in high school. And you have to understand, I was in high school in a convent school. <laughs> Excuse me. So, and, and I had watched something with Peter O'Toole and I was reading about him because at the time I was studying theater types. And, uh, and he says, when did I realize I was God? When I was praying and realized I was talking to myself. <laughs> yes, and, and that, the sheer arrogance, the humor, right. the, the, it just, you know, when you, when you've been Catholic raised and God, God will smite you if you so much as stick out of line. And to suddenly have this actor saying, yeah, well, you know, when I pray, I find I'm talking to myself. It's like, damn it. No, I can't. I'm Where do I go with this new piece of knowing? Right. And so it was really, really interesting. I remember it viscerally. Because from that moment, I started seeing how every time in mass, we were told, oh, am I here? Okay. You're here. In every here. time at mass, in Catholic mass, we are told, you know, it's it's call and response. You say something, they, right. we say something, and we say something back. And, and we are taught um, to, to listen to an outside voice, even if mm. it's God listening to an outside voice before you listen to your inside voice. What we're not taught is that inside voice is God. It is the fragment of all that is because you are a fragment of all that is, right? Um, and, and this coming from a girl who got expelled from religious instruction for asking awkward questions. So, uh, yeah, in my final year, I I know, Father Holy Thing got all upset with my incredibly <laughs> awkward questions, so I got asked to do my homework in the passageways for the rest of the year, which I did. Uh -huh. So, um, yeah, so it, it, it's, but it's an interesting thing that, um, we are, we are actually taught to and programmed from an outside perspective. For in the mm -hmm. entirety of our, look, at, at one season of our lives, you know, when we're two years old and we're testing everything, um, like my son-in-law says, if he gets through the end of the day, it's a huge achievement if the small person hasn't managed to kill herself yet. So it, <laughs> because this is how we explore, right? And it's dangerous. Yeah. And we kind of need an outside voice to say, oh, don't mm -hmm. touch that. Don't eat that. Take that thing out your mouth. So, um, but then when we get, out of the need, the survival need for an outside voice, right? The outside voice doesn't go away. It keeps, mm. it just transitions into something that, um, has been systematized, like a production foreman, like, right? you know, the whole reason we got school days the way we got them is so that Ford could have people who were happy on a production line. This is just another form of, outside voices, right? So oh, we'd be okay with sitting and doing something we hated for eight hours a day. Right, exactly. <laughs> yes. but, 
But our systems also function on most of us agreeing to listen to one outside voice. We agree that we will all drive on the same side of the road. We agree that we will all take a red light as stop, and we will stop at some random painted stripe on the road, and we will all stop there and wait for a light to change, right? This is an agreement. This is an outside agreement. It's useful. I think we don't give ourselves permission enough to question the usefulness for us of the outside voices we immediately take. Uh, right, that aren't connected to necessarily to social contracts and agreements that are for everyone's safety and things like mm-hmm. that, right? Yeah, exactly. And I happen to think vaccines are part of that because public health is important. But we get to a point where it's going like, how how do you listen to the fragment of all that is that is you? What do you say yes to? What do you say no to? Um, and, you know, it's it's part of my work. I, I'll say over and over again, I don't want to be an influencer. I want to teach people to be less influenced. Ooh. And, Ooh. I write that one down. I like <laughs> that. It's all over my wall. It's just that, but I also think that sheer bullheadedness of being an independent thinker can get in the way of the collective good. So this is where we have to, but, you know, and on the other side, we are moved forward by the misfits and the out-of-the-box thinkers, right? The people like Galileo who said the world is, you know, the world goes round the sun and people like... <gasps> oh, my God, really? <laughs> um and they, but you know, so these are the the forward thinkers who are considered quacks at the time, mm. and then also we have to we have to balance that with what what has been proven and what has been you know what what will add to the collective good. So this and then each of us makes that choice, and the only one who can make it is you, and so. We have to, we have to be in an echo chamber of our own devising where we listen to ourselves first, but we also have to take note of what other people are saying so that, because we can't know everything all at once. And, you know, if I'm wanting somebody who's wildly skilled at, I don't know, um, create, working on a new platform, for example. So like I might be interested in learning about how to curate my, Instagram feed. I will go to somebody who has learned, spent many hours learning about Instagram and I will find something from them. But if they say things like they do in marketing circles, lean on their pain points, you know, give them a headache so they'll buy your aspirin. Yeah, no, I'm not doing that. Mm-mm. Yeah. Right. So there's this. Because there's your a, values are in conflict with that way of thinking. Exactly. And that's like, exactly. Right? And I think we're finding it a lot with um the pandemic it it just has done that there are there are cultures where it's much more normal to trust the 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 voice at the top so for example in an asian country they say wear a mask everybody just wore the mask it wasn't a problem you know we were at, at 250,000 deaths before japan even got to 50 you, you were looking at these things and so but but the individualism that we curate and cultivate here in the States has moved us forward in huge strides. So at the end of the day, we all have to decide where we'll break the rules, where we'll follow them, and what our inside um, GPS governs is key. So we go by that. Um, and also be willing to have our minds changed, literally. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, at some point we all have to go, yeah, um, I, I, when I know differently, I can do differently. And I, I stress the differently because the original quote is, when you know better, you do better. I don't think it's about better. I think it's about evolution. And so when you know differently, you can do differently. Um, and, and at the end of the day, you get to live with your choices. I think that's why it's so important to know what your values are, right? Because then yeah. you don't have such a hard time. Uh, making choices because it's either in aligned with your values or it's not. <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't think a lot of, sometimes people uh, are unclear about, they've never given it a lot of thought, mm. you know, and we get to make those choices. Like I remember having sort of an aha moment 
um, about beliefs. Because I feel like at one point in my much younger life, <laughs> I, I believed what I believed, whatever it was. And that was that. And if someone were to ask me about something that was contrary to my beliefs, it was almost like, well, I mean, this is what I believe. You know, like I was born with the belief and it's like I was born with my ears and nose and eyes and I have green eyes and that's just that, right? But at some point I had this epiphany that, hmm, I actually get to choose what I believe and I could reject mm-hmm. any belief no matter how long I've had it. If it, if it's not in alignment with my values or if, if I don't believe it anymore, that's okay. I can choose a different belief. And that sounds, you know, simple, but sometimes those beliefs, like you said, you know, they're so drilled into us from the time that we're born. Well, because it's um, part of our identity, right? The, the yeah. beliefs drive behaviors. They're, they're thoughts that we think often, um, that have become a habit to think. And so therefore they become the, what drives our actions and they are, yeah, they are the when they become beliefs, then they start creating a- actions that create exactly. results. So, so when you challenge a belief, you're challenging somebody's identity. And that's the problem. That's, well, that's the sticky bit. It's not the problem. It's the sticky bit. It's where, um, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's a very, complex and multi-nuanced thing why you believe something and who you think you are because you believe that so when you choose to question a belief even the questioning can be an identity shift um you know i was in convent school and i was perfectly happy being catholic i used to love singing at church i love all the incense and the dressing up and the, i mean it's like it's a show every sunday i was there for that um and, and imagine as an actress right? <laughs> <laughs> right and then um and then we started studying in in my standard 8 year um which is 10th grade um we started studying the bible as a history book not as a biblical study, right? So it was, it was biblical studies, but we took the book as is and we did, uh, we studied the people that it refers to. So, you know, the Sumerians and the Egyptians and all the other people and the other religions and, and we, and, the, and, and then we got to the New Testament and, and this was my, my, <laughs> my most confrontational moment because the New Testament, the, the four books, they, they contradict each other. And so when I said to Father Holy Thing, um, which is just my name for him, it's not, wasn't a real name. I love the name. It's a great name. I know. My father, my father in his irreverent manner used to refer to all priests as Father Holy Thing and all nuns as, as Sister Dracula. So because they were Dominican nuns, so they were all in black and and so he referred he couldn't remember the name, so they were all Sister Dracula or Father Holy Thing. So <laughs> this is what happens when you grow up in an eccentric family. So Apparently, anyway, yes. So, Father Holy Thing, I said to him, We have to believe the Bible and he said yes. And I said, Which version? And he couldn't answer me. I'm laughing because I, I had the exact so same conversation. This is great. <laughs> I know, right? And so because he couldn't answer me, I got thrown out of class, which told of me don't ask questions How it that. But <laughs> also um, it's just made me ask more because, hello, I'm a teenager, right? So it started making me ask more and more. And then I became the girl who stirred things, right? Um and the, the odd one. Um, mm. so this, this was, this was part of it. And I had to, I, I kept getting invitations to come back into the fold and I kept knowing that I couldn't, I couldn't undo mm. the knowing that they had, that, that I had to have faith and I couldn't ask any questions. And I, I just intrinsically knew how different, how, how complicated that could get. So. Yeah, so it's it was an interesting identity shift from having gone in one day at school. I went from the dutiful Catholic girl to she who asks awkward questions. 
And the uncontrollable woman. That's what you're doing. Oh, you my God. Doing. I know, right? <laughs> and then to make matters worse, I'm singing opera when everybody else is doing bass street rollers, basically <laughs> rollers. And, yeah. And, 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 yeah. And then I got engaged in my final year at school, which was also huge. Um, so, yeah, all these things. I, it was a steady sort of deviant <laughs> road from then on. But it was, a, but it was an identity shift that took some navigating as a persona, like people looked at me differently and I behaved yeah. differently from then on. And I had to become okay with that. And that in itself took some time. So, yes. um, I know exactly what yes. you mean. Yeah. So, you know, it's, and, and some people are not prepared to risk that. I had, you know, I had a, um, mm -hmm. I had friends who, who came, who would come and say, I, I, you know, I also feel that question, but, I, I can't ask my parents that. So I, mm -hmm. you know, so they would just stay safe and that's totally fine. I just didn't. Um, and I paid the price in some ways and got huge rewards in others. Yeah. So mm -hmm. these, this thing about beliefs being your identity, it's, it's, we have to notice that and allow for it because when you question a belief, you are making yourself, you are opening yourself to a shift in identity. And that comes with a shift in everything. Mm -hmm. That's a great point. I, I had a similar kind of thing, except I wasn't a Catholic. I, I was Protestant. I was in a Presbyterian church. But I had the same kind of, of strong tie in the sense that you to both would have um, through the Catholic experience in that my father was the pillar of the church. He was the largest donor. I mean, he was like, he and my, my uncle were like the longest standing members. They were the, the, the two biggest donors. They played the biggest roles. They played, they sang in the choir. I mean, they played the big roles as the deacons and the elders and everything else. I mean, they were just, you know, and here I am now my, my, actually my, my uh, disagreement with scripture was a little bit broader than that. Yes. I, no, I actually identified three different voices in the Gospels, but it was more than that. I mean, I was going through like the Old Testament. I was going to Revelation. I, w I was going to all this stuff and I was questioning all over the place and no, nobody could answer any of my questions. My questions got even more and more um, uh, controversial, perhaps it's the way to say it. <laughs> you know? I was challenging. I was challenging a lot of stuff and I was getting no good answers. And this was right after I had become a communicant member of the church. <laughs> so it was really embarrassing. <laughs> and on top of that, I was the eldest son. So, you know, I mean, I, I was really in a pretty rough place in that sense. But like you said, because my belief, it wasn't so much that it was a change in belief. I think my beliefs actually stayed the way they'd, they'd always been. It's just that they were coming to the fore. Mm -hmm. I, I had bought into a belief system that I didn't really buy into truly deep down and the conflict came out and I had to be true to who I was and what I felt and what I believed. But oh God, was that hard? It is hard. It is leave, hard. You, and because you dismantle you your go whole up life. community. Yeah. Oh mm -hmm. yeah. You dismantle right, the whole right. thing. Because yeah. we have it ingrained in us that, you know, if we get, um, if we get ostracized from our tribe, we could die. That yes. goes back to, that's the fear. Right. And right. And, and what, I mean, I had it happen in a big, big way. Um, when I left the church and when I converted to Judaism, <laughs> because see, I had so many questions. <laughs> that <would be> fun. <laughs> I kept feeling like I'm asking these people what this really means in the original language. Mm. And then I have to just believe what they're saying. And so I learned how to read Hebrew so that I could read it myself and know what it meant. And they didn't like it. Mm. When I finally left, I had people that would not let their kids play with my kids anymore. Mm. I got emails saying that you're on the road to hell and you're taking your children with you. Um, you know, it was so doing it was like it upended my entire life and I knew it would. <laughs> sure. Yeah. I you don't, you don't, you don't go, you go, don't go that, down that road blindly. I, like, yeah. Your eyes are wide open. Absolutely yeah. not. And, you know, the funny thing was, is a lot of it was, was still really painful, but I learned who really loved me and cared about me mm. because I did have a handful of people in my life 
that respected me and stood by me and, and never faltered in it. But I also had a lot of people that just, um, you know, either ignored me, stopped talking to me, wouldn't let their kids play with my kids or out or, or went over the line of that. And even worse said really terrible things to me. So it, it's so understandable why people will stay in a belief system. Right. But when you think about that, that belief that connection with belief to identity, when you think of it from a law of attraction or a conscious creation perspective, think how often we can do it there. We can stay, you know, when we're not talking about religion or any kind of article of faith or any kind of belief that way, but we're just talking about our beliefs and values in general when they're not lining up. And we don't want to be vocal about it or we don't want to change our identity because we feel like, and it may be subconscious, fear. It may not even be conscious, but we feel like we'll be ostracized from the tribe. We feel like we suddenly won't be part of the the group anymore, part of the gang. And when we feel like that and we stay in that place, it has to. I mean, I can't see how it wouldn't affect all of our ability to consciously create what we're trying to do. Mm -hmm. In fact, I can think of an example that is outside of the realm of religion entirely, but it draws directly from popular culture goes to pro basketball and it's the relationship Uh that existed between Larry Bird and Magic Johnson because when Magic Johnson was diagnosed as being HIV positive, he was, first of all, it happened at a time where the AIDS epidemic was out of control. There was a ton of fear associated with it. He was literally ostracized by other players in the NBA who were afraid to be anywhere near him because they thought they were going to get the disease from him. Mm-hmm. And one of the only people who stood up for him was his longtime rival and nemesis, Larry Bird, who got on the phone, called him up and asked him if he was okay mm-hmm. at a time when his own teammates wouldn't talk to him. Yeah. Gosh, that's huge. I have chills during that story. Yeah. And yeah. they became, I, I can't remember who it was. There was a special that was done on HBO about the, the Magic Bird uh, relationship. And there was one sports writer, a female sports writer, who remarked that they have a club that has only two members in it. Oh. And they don't meet more than once every couple of years or so. But when they meet, they don't have to say anything. They don't have to do anything because they yeah. have this bond that is just an yeah. absolute enduring bond. And it's part of it is that tremendous competition that they had because they were incredibly competitive <laughs> with each other. Oh, yeah. I mean, they were, I mean, I love the way Larry Bird described it in that particular uh, special. He said, you know, I, I would I would kick myself because I had only done 200 free throws that day. I, I'll bet you he did 500. You know, it, it was to that level. Yeah. Yeah, they were the greatest. Um, yeah, it's, it is it is that. Um, it's, it's such an interesting thing, um, the risks we take to be ourselves. Mm. <laughs> Isn't it, doesn't it seem like there would never be a risk? <laughs> Seems like the risky thing would be to be trying to be someone else. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah, it is. And, and yet, you know, it's, it's so strange. Um, and I do think that we have, um, uh, we have to balance it. We have to balance the power of the individual and the power of the collective. And we have to, you know, just just navigate it as best we can and stay open to the fact that our long grain beliefs might need changing because life life changes right and we yes. may need to change in accordance to that as well um it's like you know i i just the way that we have evolved over the past 100 years since we got electricity and um, you know, transportation is faster. We know more. We we can reach more people. We can do all these things. We are not the same. Um, and so there are things about, uh, you know, for example, we wouldn't have said um, you could have a deep and enduring friendship if you'd never met the person. Right. That would have been a belief, right? Yes, you had pen pals in the old days but that was what they were they were they were friends through pen the the letters but but we would have said for you to have a really good friendship you need the person to be at least like in the same town i my best friends my two best friends i've never met them in person ever 
And so it, it is, it is a, so that belief then needs to go bye bye because. And I think just being able to question beliefs, right? Because sometimes people don't. I think we need to, yeah, because we don't like to be wrong. The brain is really, really going to uh, resist us being wrong. Um, and, and so this is where the identity piece can be actually kind of useful because I will say things like, who I was then believed this. Who I am now believes differently. And so, you know, and one of my favorite things is I'll say, people, uh, times change and so have I. And then, I will say, this is how I am now, right? Um, mm-hmm. It's like, for example, I would have said it would be incredibly rude to ignore a message from somebody. I do that all the time on Facebook. All the hello, dears, you have a beautiful face. Um, have you thought about buying crypto? Have you? you know, all <laughs> these things that go into my messenger. And it's like, yeah, no, I'm not even gonna, but, but my previous selves would have said, you are so rude to ignore a message. You don't do that. Mm. Right. And now I just ignore daily. And it's like, I don't have that belief anymore. Um, so we, we have to shift and we don't notice sometimes when some of our beliefs are shifting. And we also don't notice when some of our beliefs need shifting. I think something that, you know, when we talk about being able to consciously choose a belief, because that's something that I think in the past maybe 15 years I've done a lot of. And one of the first things that I consciously chose to believe about myself. Now, understand when I say I'm consciously choosing to believe it doesn't mean I always do. Because <laughs> why? Because habit because, right, I decided that part of who I was, that something I believed is that about myself is that I'm not attached to being right. And I will say it, right? I say, well, okay, let me, let me try this. Let me, let me give you this idea. And I could be wrong. I'm not attached to being right. Because that's who I want to be. Because I want to be able to be flexible and open-minded and to take other things into consideration. Now, do I sometimes like argue for my limitations even? Do I argue because I want to be right? Of course. <laughs> but <laughs> what, you mean you're human? Oh my God. <laughs> right. But, I mean, but my intention is that I'm more often than not don't want to be attached to, to being right because mm-hmm. it causes problems. Right. Right. <laughs> You know, but so I think we can sometimes decide on a belief about who we are and start practicing it, start trying it on like a jacket, you know, it's like, how Mm -hmm. is this, is this, and see how it is to step into that space and be that like you, Jackie talking about ignoring, you know, messages. Yeah, I I totally get that. Um, I kind of went through that same exact thing. And at some point I'm like, I don't have to answer this. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't, it doesn't mean, you know, one of the, one of my favorite coaching questions when somebody tells me something about themselves that they don't, you know, or something that's happening that's not about them, but they seem distraught about it is what, what are you making that mean about you? Because that's what we do, right? So, it's easy to make that mean something about you. Oh, I didn't answer all these messages. That must mean I'm rude, right? But you know you're not rude. <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah, and mm-hmm. so I think you're right. I think that all of the technology and all of the ways, you know, ever since we became the Jetsons, we have <laughs> had to change. We've mm-hmm. had to change because at one point before we had all of that, you were you were never inundated with that many messages in a day, with that many outside people wanting your attention. It would just mm-hmm. wouldn't have happened. And so now we're dealing with things that are new to us as a, as a species. <laughs> as a, you know, yeah. like you said, a hundred years is like a drop in the mm-hmm. timeline right here. It's nothing. And it's true. And even in our own, I mean, we're all similar age you're all the same generation we have gone through so much changes i mean when i think about the things that were not even you know available in someone's eye 
Yeah. Right? Microwaves yeah. and computers yeah. and walking yeah. into the house and saying, uh, I'm not going to say because I don't want yeah, to turn the you. lights on. Right. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. Turn on the lights. No, if yeah. you spoke so, to your house, you were weird. Yes. No. That's right. <laughs> and these well, people, I mean, I'm telling you, these people that make a program or a movie or an anything that uses the words hey and then Google <laughs> damn them. <laughs> yes. Oh, no, I know. It's true. And it's, you know, this is how we evolve, though. I think that um, the the rigid things break. They They do. We have to be. Not so flexible that we lose our core, but flexible enough that we can go with the winds of change. Um, and, you know, humans, humans are evolving at a very rapid pace these days. And it all That's takes true. us, it, it, it gets us at all a chance to go, okay, so where do I stand on this? What can I do in my piece of the world? And I do think that, you know, we underestimate the influence we have within our own worlds and we overestimate the influence that the outside world has. Um, we can, we can curate and create an experience for ourselves if we get deliberate about it. Right. Um, one of my beliefs is that everything always works out better than expected. And it doesn't matter how crappy things get for me. If I can keep remembering that it'll help me navigate um, it, and it other, might not be, I mean, things might turn out to be absolutely God awful, but the fact that I hold on to that glimmer that things generally turn out better than expected, uh, it's enough for me to not give up. And in not giving up, of course, there's options for change. So yeah, it's, it's uh, beliefs and identity are, are two pieces over which we have far more control than we think. And if we'll remember that we have, a, a, you know, our sphere of influence and then there's, you know, the next kind of level out of, right, or our, there's our sphere of control and then our sphere of influence. And then there's the greater sphere that that we don't really have any control or influence over to any great degree. And if we will focus on that center circle, the sphere of control, the things we do have control over. Because mm -hmm. if we put all our focus on things we have no control over, right? If, if all of our mental energy, all our imagination, all our, our focus is going to things in the world that we don't really have any control over at all, then that sphere of control will sort of collapse because we're mm -hmm. not giving it any attention. But if we put our attention on the things we can control, then we start to move into that sphere of influence, which is a little wider where we, we don't control, but we may have influence. And it's that sphere of influence that in turn changes that big picture of the world, the part of the world we have no control over. So pulling it back and re realizing what we do have control over and our identity and our beliefs are two of the things we absolutely have control over. Mm -hmm. So bringing it there and putting our energy there causes us to have some influence and that, you know, has and, also, and don't mistake your zone of control, your area of control for your zone of influence. You do not have control over other people. Ever. Right. Exactly. Um, you may be able to influence them, but you do not have control over them. Um, right. And so this is where we tap back into what do I believe about myself in this situation and how am I going to move forward from here? Because it is about you, you have control over you and not other people. You can have influence, but you can't have control. And so that, that influence thing has an interesting side note to it as well. I mean, you guys both use, you, you both have been talking about beliefs extensively, but you also referred to values and mm -hmm. to value <clears throat> to basically to assign value to something, to say, this is how much I, I value it. And then even to appreciate it, to increase the value of it in your own eyes. That's what I've been noticing a lot in my own life. I, I value a whole lot more now than I did when I was 10 years younger, 20 years younger, 30 years younger. My valuations keep increasing over time. Mm -hmm. And an interesting thing happens along the way, because like you said, you don't have the ability to control outside mm -hmm. of your own influence. You can influence, you can't control. But the cool thing is when you stop controlling outside of or trying to control outside of your influence and you control within your own influence, then 
your values increase. And as your values increase and your beliefs increase, then that's when those outside changes happen. Yes, because right. that's how it works. Yes. Everything yeah. is everything after a while. <laughs> because, yeah. you know, it's just, it's, yeah, it is exactly that. And you become, that's where, you know, be the change you want to see. It starts with what you can control. Mm-hmm. It starts yeah. with you. Um, and you showing up in the kind of way that you, you want, you, you want the, the things you want to see. Um, and you know, it's, it's, it's such an interesting, it gets very convoluted. Um, if you try and have it as a widespread topic, but when you go one person by one person and you say, right, so you believe this now, is there, is there any way that that you would change that belief? Is it what, what would change it, make you change your mind? Right. And the, the, one of the people that I admire tremendously for changing his mind is McCain, John McCain, who's, who is mm. completely anti gay LGBTQ folk until his own daughter came out. Um, right. and, and he was very candid about how it, it shook him to his core because it right. was a belief system, right? And so, and, and eventually love won out and he, he, he was able to see that he can love his, his child no matter what. And in doing so, the rest of the LGBTQ people gained an ally, right? But it had right. to be a personal thing. It had to be a, a personal experience. And so we'll each have those. Um, and we like to think that the Internet facilitates personal experiences, but it actually doesn't. It gives us um, a perspective, but we have to integrate and we have to run it through our own filters and our own beliefs um, and not just take it as an, as an influence from outside. So it's very it's true. Such, yeah, because, you know, vast communication brings with it vast influence. And we still yeah. have to filter that back down to who am I if I believe this? <laughs> you know, it's uh, and I, that's one of my favorite questions. Who do you have to be to believe that? Yes. Um, because, you know, it's when I was playing Nancy in Oliver, um, the, the, the idea that a woman would go back to a man who beats her senseless before I did that show. I, I, I couldn't, I couldn't put that together. And so I had to, I had to work out what her belief system was. And it comes out in her song, as long as he needs me. Mm-hmm. And, and she sings it, as long as he needs me, I'll be there. There's this loyalty, this firm loyalty. And yes, it's mis, misplaced, but it's still her core is that she's loyal. And then she finds a boy who needs her more. And she mm-hmm. goes, Oh, wait. Okay, so he needs me. I have to be this. I have to be the traitor. I have to, I have to be for him what I was for them. And so this, this, this mindset shift that I had to go into each evening to remember that she has a different belief system. And so that's why she responds differently. That's why she does what she does. Um, you know, and, and my belief system, thankfully, didn't let me get into a situation like that, but I don't know for sure that it might not have, right? So, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's such a, your, your identity and your beliefs are intrinsically one. And so when you question one, you have to be prepared to question the other and then navigate the, the response that reality has to both of those things. That's really one of the great things about being an actor, isn't it? Because as an actor, you explore perspectives you never would have considered. And in fact, the, the great oh, actors yeah, say, I can't yeah. wait to take on the, uh, the the villain role that I would never be in, in real life because exactly. it's so different. Oh, yes. yes, exactly. And it is so, so, it's so funny because there are many actors who the public doesn't let them do that. The public mm-hmm. doesn't like certain people to be like they, they really didn't want, um, oh, Shirley Temple. They didn't want her to grow right. old. She could grow mm-hmm. up to, into her ingenue state, right? She could, she did that, but they didn't want her to grow old. So she never mm-hmm. played anything after that, you know, and then mm-hmm. and you've got other actors who, who they, they try and be the villain and everybody goes, yeah, no, 
bring back, bring back <laughs> whatever it is. You know, it's just like, no, I can't, I can't have you be the villain. Um, and so that's re- it's really an interesting thing, but yes, we get to explore identities. Um, and that's why my work around identities always has this theatrical nuance because I know what it takes to be somebody who is intrinsically different to who you are. Mm. Not just intrinsically different, but in many ways intrinsically in conflict with who you are. Can be. It can be. Yes, absolutely. I mean, there are roles that are really hard to play um, because they are just so just so not nice people, right? <laughs> you know? And yet there are people that are really, really, really good at that um, and relish every moment of it. Mm. Um, and, you know, the um, uh, Silence of the Lambs. What's his name? Um, oh, uh, Anthony, Anthony Hopkins. Anthony Hopkins. Thank you. Yes, absolutely mm. relished it. and there are people to this day that worked with him on that movie that get creeped out being around him (laughs) absolutely it's so it's so intriguing you know i mean um the girl from psycho could never take a shower after that movie after she (laughs) filmed Mm. the movie um and and it's, it's just yeah so you can and then we have heath ledger who couldn't disassociate from the party thing and so choose your beliefs well, people. Yes, <laughs> craft your role, craft your identities. It is within your control. You, you don't even have to be the actor because uh, the movie Bohemian Rhapsody came out within the last couple of years. And the, the two still touring members of Queen, the drummer and the guitarist, when they saw the way that the, uh, I can't remember what the character's name was. He, he, he was the sort of the Say bad Freddie influence Mercury. on Freddie Mercury. No, not Say Freddie Mercury. The, 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 the Irish guy who was also gay, who basically led Freddie astray into this terrible party world and so mm-hmm. forth. When the two band members saw him, he, the, the job that, I can't remember what his name was. He played in Downton Abbey. The job that he did was so good that they couldn't stand being in the same room with him. They said, you were exactly like this guy. We hated him. Oh my him. goodness. Wow. <laughs> actually yeah. And, you know, after the filming was done and say, we, we wanted to apologize that we never came up to congratulate you because you did the role brilliantly. But this is why we just couldn't even stand seeing you. You were oh, so dead nailing yes. it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's an, it is a thing. Um, and, and this is why, you know, when you study theater, you get to play these. You get, and, and you don't have to study theater. You can just be. The, the self one sign up there, it says she designed a life she loved. You get to do that. And you, you need to shift your beliefs and your identities to create the version of you that you want to be because you are limitless. And like Walt Whitman said, we contain multitudes. So we just get to choose the mm. multitude we want. <laughs> That's a good one. I like that. The multitude we want. Yes. Yeah. Which of the multitudes? I feel like I've been doing a lot of that. Yeah, it's, it's like my mother talks about that. I just me getting up and looking at my wardrobe and going, "Who do I want to be today?" Mm-hmm. Mm. So it's like, I do that. Why not? <laughs> I do that now I know me too. It's just like, okay, so who do we want to be? <laughs> it's fun. Humaning is fun. That's a good way of, of of describing what it's also like when you're going through the challenges. I've been going through challenges lately, and. Every morning, it's often a question of, okay, do I really want to get up today? And then I, I kind of do what you described. I don't think of it as taking on what, what role am I going to take on? I don't really think of it that way, but that's what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. I'm deciding how do I want to feel today? And that's basically yeah. taking on a role, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's, it's choosing which version you want to play. Um, and so, yes, it is absolutely that. And with that version comes certain beliefs and certain attitudes and certain behaviors um, and, and you will craft your day through that. Cause that's, that's how really it works. Cool. Once again, we have managed to start a show with no topic and turn it into <laughs> a fabulous topic. The, the hardest part for me often is figuring out what's the title, but I mean, the conversation was so clearly good. I'm, I'm sure I'll come up with it's a title. The Pearl of Great Price. That's the title. Yeah, that's true. That's the way we started it off. Right? Yes, so it's the it Pearl. Is. Okay. I'm writing it down. Pearl of Great oh, Price. Okay. Right. got it. Yes. I love that. <laughs> I love it. Yes. But I love how we do that on the show. We come up with, we start with nothing and, and it turns into a Pearl of Great Price by the time we're yeah. done. Conscious oh, yeah. creation in action. Yes. At its finest. Yes. At its we finest. are masterful so. at this. <laughs> Whew. 
Look out, world. Here it comes. So thank you, ladies, very much. Um, also, want to remind you once again, next week, David Strickle is going to be here. So I don't know if you guys are going to be able to make that, but that's going to be a lot of fun. Um, and that, there's going to be other, uh, there's also going to be a special one that it won't be a part of the regular schedule, but I'm doing a, a swap interview. I'm going, appearing on this one guy's, um, podcast. He's appearing on mine. Really interesting guy. He has Tourette's syndrome and oh, wow. he has a spirituality show. So it's going to be really interesting coming out of that. So, and there's going to be a lot of other stuff coming up too. We're going to have more and more interesting guests coming up. So we'll be making announcements about those, but in the meantime, thank you ladies very much. And thank, thank you, you uh, to our podcast listeners everywhere. We'll see you all next time here on LOA today. Goodbye, everybody. Bye, everyone.